When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. We are just finishing the divisional round games, uh, recording this after the game between San Francisco and Dallas. A hell of a weekend for football. Uh, happy to report uh, that my team, the Bengals, did get back to the AFC Championship, a rematch with the Chiefs. Uh, so a little happy and elated after that victory. Uh, Should be a fun week, kind of digesting everything that happened. But from a dynasty perspective, we're starting to get to a really, really fascinating point to where we're really close to leagues rolling over, picks being available, sleeper leagues, your picks are already available. We've had some great questions over the last couple weeks on the live streams. I appreciate everybody that has joined me on the Destination Devi channel. Uh, going live on YouTube the last couple weeks. That will be back uh, probably here in the next week or two. Uh, Stay tuned. I'll announce what I'm going to do the next live stream. But I wanted to dive into the wide receiver data tonight. I've talked about it. I mentioned it last week when we had a question about wide receivers. And I did an episode like this about six weeks back, uh, the off-season prep series, and I talked about wide receiver data. And at the point then, uh, we didn't have all of the data done. Uh, But now I'm going to go through the entire set of data and talk a little bit more about players. And normally I'm not a players guy, right? I'm not somebody where you go to and say, tell me about what players to draft. Um, I actually lean away from that. I'll be honest. I'll be brutally honest. I feel uncomfortable a lot of times when people ask me player A or player B questions. A lot of times my answers are not necessarily cop-outs, but there's other things that factor into my answer. Like I talked about on America's Game this week with Eric, there is extrinsic value sometimes to why you might prefer a player over another. That's typically what I look for when I'm breaking a tie. I get a lot of questions, player versus pick, player versus player, you know, this versus that. One for one, two for two, three for three. Trades where there's players at the same exact position. I get a lot of those messages too. Would you trade this receiver and this running back for this receiver and this running back? And I think a lot of times we know the obvious answers to those when it's clearly, you know, 75, 25 in your advantage. Okay, take the trade. But for the most part, 
unless you have something extrinsic to look towards in the instance of a receiver or a running back or something for a draft pick, usually it's the flexibility of the draft pick. The timing of that trade matters. The timing of that deal, whether it happens in January or whether it happens in August, can be huge. Just the win you're doing it matters a lot for which side you might take. And that's why a lot of my questions that I get both here, Dynasty Trades in 5, it's usually, hey, over the next couple months, liquidate. Give me draft picks. Give me the picks. Give me the picks. Give me the picks. In a startup, take the picks. Take the picks if you're not sure what to do. Take a pick. Take another pick. Get multiple picks. And that's simply for the liquidity, the auto-accept trade block that we talked about last week and that Eric and I covered more in depth on America's Game this week. That's why you do it. The flexibility of the picks. And a lot of times those deals, unless they just slap you in the face and they're obvious, well, of course I would send the 112 for this player. That's a smash. But a lot of deals aren't smashes. A lot of deals are 50-50, 55-45, 60-40 at best. And in those cases, I'm going to look towards something else to try to drive whether I want that player or whether I don't. And this leads into tonight's episode. You know, there's a reason I did the whole roster construction series. There's a reason that I plan to do a lot more content this offseason focusing on best ball. Because more often than not, especially as the, the new dynasty player gets smarter, the type of deals that are just absolute smashes, 80-20, 90-10, those don't come around that often. Especially if you're playing in a lot of leagues with a lot of us, people listening to this show. Like rarely if you have 11 other people that are listening to content like this, that are really diving deep in the offseason on Dynasty strategy, they're probably not the ones you're getting those deals from. Sure, they happen. Sure, you see them posted on Twitter and you go, what the hell is that team doing that just gave up four firsts for two receivers in February? Something like that. But those are few and far between. So I think you always have to be looking for the intrinsic value and the timing of a deal to determine if you want to do it. And right now we're at the perfect time to look back and talk about roster clogger receivers, talk about the wide receiver landscape, talk about the wide receiver landscape just for lineup and just for best ball and how it differs. I've had some great conversations uh, with Adam on 4D Chess, with Mike on 4D Chess, over in the Destination Devi Discord, in the Patreon and the group me over at Dynasty and Chill. We've had some good discussions when a best ball question comes up. And a lot of times it's, well, maybe for best ball that makes sense, but in a lineup league it doesn't make sense. And I want to get to the roots of that. So we're going to explore more of that on the channel, but for tonight's episode, I want to go through the wide receivers, talk a little bit about you know, kind of where that inflection point is in a lineup league and where it might be in a best ball league and how it differs and how you value the players differently and how you value roster spots differently because it does matter and it doesn't necessarily matter at the very, very top. So again, just to kind of go back and talk about the process that I used to do this, um, I essentially took all of the total games and what I did is I did weight market share a little bit higher than the other categories, but basically I went through, looked for players that played at least 30 snaps per game at wide receiver and at least 15 routes run per game at wide receiver. I also made it a minimum of 400 snaps and a minimum of 250 routes. So I didn't want to eliminate 
you know, players that didn't play full-time roles. But I also wanted to set a little bit of a minimum there as well, because if you just pulled all this data and you just use the totals, you would end up with some guys that are on the very, very low end of snaps and routes run. And sometimes their splits are a little bit misleading because what you would say is, well, maybe their splits are decent, but why didn't they play more? And usually you would say if their splits are good and they're not playing a lot, then they should play more. That's the Sky Moore argument, right? Like a guy like Sky Moore, well, look what he's doing when he's on the field. Look at his usage when he's on the field, but he doesn't play. Continually, he doesn't play. And at some point, we have to make that a little bit of an indictment on the player. Like, why isn't he playing more? Now, you might be able to use the arguments about a specific player and say, well, they should have played more, or it was because of this or because of that. But I wanted to establish a baseline here. So I basically used minimum of 400 snaps, minimum of 250 routes run, but you also had to have 30 snaps a game and 15 routes run per game. So some arbitrary cutoffs, but what I wanted to do is just come up with a sample size of what we can call full-time wide receivers in 2022. And it equates out to be 91 different receivers. And then what I did there is I essentially just took where they ranked in that sample size, so 1 through 91, and I filtered by their market share, their targets per route run, their yards per route run, and their team air yard share. And just wanted to figure out where they ranked among their peers in all of those categories and came up with an aggregate. Now, I did weight the market share 2x over the other categories because I do think that is the most important. If you tell me a player has a certain market share... I will usually say that they should probably play more if they're not playing a lot, because that is the number one thing that we're looking for, right? Is a guy that can earn the ball. And a lot of times you don't see players that are over a certain target share that aren't playing, or they should be playing more. You don't see that a lot. Because even the guys that are on crowded depth charts, and you could say, well, that guy has a 19% market share, maybe he should play more. Eventually they will play more. You know, you will see that correct itself. So I think the market share is the most important thing to identify which receivers can quote unquote earn targets. But then you're looking at the other category saying, okay, who has the highest upside or who potentially is the most well-rounded or who is the best of all of them. And so I think the important thing here isn't to pay attention to the names at the top. I'm going to give you the top 12 and you're going to probably say, okay, well, there's not really much I can learn from many of the guys in the top 12. So I'm just going to rattle off the top 12, and they're not going to be anybody that surprises you. So Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Chris Olave at six, DeAndre Hopkins, CeeDee Lamb, Stephon Diggs, DJ Moore, and Jamar Chase. So for my takeaway from that top 12 is Chris Olave is legit. You know, Chris Olave not only ranked 15th in market share, and that continued to dwindle as the season went on, he ended up finishing at 26.6% target share, which is phenomenal for a rookie. And that's the main takeaway is of all the categories that he finished outside of the top 10, it was market share was the one that he finished outside the top 10. And he still was 15th. So I'll take that. That's really good for a rookie. Targets per route run, eighth. Yards per route run, 10th. Team air yard share, second. So Chris Alave did indeed have a tremendous rookie season. I don't know if you can really project him to be more than what he was this year. I think one of the mistakes we make is we see a rookie season like Chris Olave's or Garrett Wilson's, and we say, okay, those guys just have to get better. And I do think there is a little bit of a trap or a fallacy that we fall into by people saying, well, they're just automatically top 10 receivers in Dynasty. I don't think it's unfair, but I do think it's probably 
a little bit over our skis to just project Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to automatically be top eight receivers in Dynasty, when really they're just in that big tier of tier two receivers where it's like, we know they're good, but I wouldn't necessarily pay up for them over some of the other guys that are also in the tier. Because if you think about it, I know they're rookies. I know they didn't have great situations, but you look at somebody like Chris Olave and you say, okay, what is the difference between Chris Olave and DJ Moore? And you might be sitting here looking at me going, you're crazy. DJ Moore doesn't score fantasy points. But really, these numbers say, just like they've always said with a guy like DJ Moore, is it's literally just quarterback dependent, quarterback efficiency dependent, offensive efficiency dependent as to why these guys aren't scoring more fantasy points. So I'm not saying you should take DJ Moore over Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Drake London, but there's always the chance that a guy doesn't really ever become more than what a guy like DJ Moore is except for the fact we're going to overvalue him for a couple of years because they're young. And we just assume, well, Chris Olave's 22, going to be 23 years old. Okay, we got to value him higher than a 25-year-old DJ Moore. You know why? Because he's younger. He's only going to get better. And you can argue he can get better, but just to assume he's going to and value him as a top eight dynasty receiver when there's other guys that are the same age, but they might be in year two or year three and just say, well, they're not as good because they don't have as high of a ceiling or they're just not today's news. They're last year's news or the big news from 2020. We kind of get ahead of our skis. So I do think there's a little bit of overvaluing of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And it's not saying they shouldn't be where they are, but people prioritizing them simply because they're rookies and going, well, They were good as rookies. They have to get 25% better as sophomores and as third-year players. And that's not necessarily the case. They're in a really strong tier. They belong in the really strong tier, but that's probably it. So that was a big one. And then DJ Moore. I mean, DJ Moore finishing 11th again, 11th in market share, 13th in targets per route run, 24th in yards per route run. And like I mentioned on the prior show, yards per route run is actually the category here that is most affected by the quarterback. So the quarterback, you know, with a lower A dot is probably going to end up with a lower yards per route run a lot of times for wide receivers. So with DJ Moore, 24th, okay, maybe you can put a little bit on his quarterback play. First in air yards, though. So DJ Moore really, really turned it around when Sam Darnold came in. So you got to give him props for another really good season. He only had 114 targets, yet that was still 27.7% target share. So again, people are going to look at his target totals and look at his fantasy totals and go, well, He wasn't that good. Really, he was just as good as he's always been. He just was on a team that threw it less and a team that really wasn't that great. So take it in stride. Continue to put him where you would put him. It it probably doesn't need to be any higher than like a low-end wide receiver one, probably high to mid-range wide receiver two, but that's where he should be. He's that good. So that's my takeaway from that top 12. If you go into the next group, I think the next group is interesting because you have a mix of guys that are seen as just clear tier two wide receivers in Dynasty. And quite frankly, they probably belong there. But then you have others where you go, wow, I wouldn't put those guys in that tier. Yet their numbers are kind of the same. So I'll just read them off. 13 through 24, we have Drake London, Amari Cooper, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devontae Smith, Keenan Allen, DK Metcalf, Brandon Ayuk, Garrett Wilson. Terry McLaurin, Mike Evans, Marquise Brown, and Jacoby Myers. Now, the ones that clearly fit like that tier two range, I think that a lot of people would say, yeah, that's a clear top 12, top 15 wide receiver in Dynasty. Probably Drake London, just based on the fact, what, he's a 21-year-old rookie, right? He's young. He's young, 
put up a 29% market share season as a rookie. Really, really good. Sixth in market share, fifth in targets per outrun, 16th in yards per outrun, 25th in air yard share. So really good rookie season for Drake London. Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, really, really good. Top 10 in everything except for 50th in air yard share. So Probably with Amon Ra, that's likely what he's going to be. Very similar to what his numbers were last year, but even better. So you got to give him props. Like, he's really one of those guys that he's a great slot receiver that's going to be a target hog, but he's probably never going to be somebody that wins a ton downfield. He's probably not going to ever put up, you know, a 1,400-yard season, but that doesn't matter. We're playing in PPR league. So I think he's firmly in that wide receiver 8-10 to 10 range. And that's probably where he should be. I mean, he almost kind of is similar to like the younger version of Keenan Allen. Or maybe his ceiling is what like Cooper Cup could be. Like it just probably needs the right offense to unlock him to have a monster season. But he should be really, really good with what he's shown thus far. Devontae Smith, same thing. Outside the top 12 in every category, but top 20 in everything except for air yard share, which he was 32nd. So probably I would say a poor man's Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, would be Devontae Smith. But again, he probably belongs in that top 15, top 10 to 15 receivers, the, the tier two of wide receivers, probably at the bottom end, but rightfully there with what he's shown in his first two years. DK Metcalf, same thing, uh, outside the top 15 in every category, except for air yard share. So that tells me that with DK, uh, his market share actually went up this year compared to what it has been for his career, uh, but really good. 25.5% market share this year. 18th and 19th in market share and targets per route run, 34th in yards per route run, and 12th in team air yard share. So again, uh, a quarterback stat with the yards per route run probably can go up a little bit. Very comfortable putting DK Metcalf somewhere in that wide receiver like 8 to 15 range. And then the last one that definitely belongs in there, Garrett Wilson, uh, another really good year for a rookie, another rookie with a 25 plus percent market share. We have three rookies that hit that number this year, which is incredible. And Garrett Wilson, really looks very similar to DK Metcalf outside of the top 18 in every category, but inside the top 32. Now, like I talked about earlier with Alave, you probably want to just hold back a little bit when you're talking about Garrett Wilson being this locked and loaded top eight wide receiver. Again, we're clearly putting him ahead of Metcalf, Devontae Smith, Amon Ross St. Brown. Like, does he belong ahead of all those guys? Arguably, you could say, Probably not. You can give him a little bit of credit for this being his rookie year. But at the same time, it's not like if he gets 10% better, he immediately elevates himself to the very, very top of the tier two receivers. Like he's not there. So to just put him higher, you're probably overvaluing him just a little bit because he's a rookie. He should be in the top 15 or so, uh, but we shouldn't be wide receiver four, wide receiver three. I, I see some people in Dynasty saying Garrett Wilson is their wide receiver three. I don't think so. So he's probably more on the sell as a sophomore side for me, simply because he's being way projected higher in terms of value because of the fact he was just a rookie. So not saying you should sell him, but this is also one of those opportunities where you go, wow, can I pivot off of Garrett Wilson for DJ Moore and a 24 first? Something like that. You're giving up a couple years, but you're also sitting there going like, I'm not so sure I'm not just getting an equivalent receiver and I'm picking up an extra pick. So think about that. Some others that fit in here, you know, it's interesting. We have a bunch of old guys in here too. Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen, Terry McLaurin, going to be 28. Mike Evans, going to be 29 or is 29. And then you have Marquise Brown and Jacoby Myers that round out the top 24. I don't need to talk about Marquise Brown and Jacoby Myers. Those guys are really good. I don't really want to buy them 
because a lot of times the person selling them is going, I know I'm selling a pretty good player, but I can also look at those two and say they are the perfect two-for-one throw-in type of players where if you're doing a pivot down and you're pivoting down simply off of somebody who's valued because they're young. So say like Devontae Smith, right? Let's say you want to pivot off Devontae Smith or pivot off of DK Metcalf. I'm totally fine going to like Marquise Brown because people are going to look at that situation and go, "Ah, I'm not sure. But what did I talk about before the season? It wasn't necessarily on this show because this show didn't exist, but I talked about over in the DNC community. Marquise Brown and DK Metcalf before the season had literally had identical careers when you look at all these numbers. Yet there's a complete disconnect in terms of one. Well, DK Metcalf, he's 6'3", 225, 230. Look how fast he is. Like, he's a super stud. Marquise Brown, too small, injury prone. Like, all of these narratives out there saying, well, I'm not sure this guy's any good. But the reality is, if you look at their seasons this year, very similar. Yep, Marquise Brown got injured. I understand if you're a little hesitant, like a guy that is small and has had some injuries. But when you just look at this stuff on paper, you go, you know what? They're very similar players. So he's one of those pivot down to guys where you can pick him up and he's pretty much the equivalent of getting like a late first rounder, but he's also one of these threshold receivers that's really, really strong and has some upside. Like He has a lot of upside if they have a new offense, if they have a better offense, if Kyler comes back and gets healthy, he's going to be another guy that gets paid. So he's one that I want to collect shares of. And then Jacoby Myers has always, uh, always destined to be underrated, but is hitting free agency. We'll see. I do think there's a chance he goes back to the Patriots, but if not, probably has a chance to be one of the highest paid receivers in free agency. So always one you're willing to collect uh, shares at cost because another top 24 season for Jacoby Myers. So next up is the wide receiver threes. And I'm going to go through this list. It's interesting because you can spot some trends at this list as well. Uh, There's definitely some players in here, a few of them specifically dealt with games where they had to leave early due to injuries multiple times. Uh, You can probably name some of those players, but I'll just go through the list. So we'll start Jalen Waddell, Alan Lazard, Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockett, Jerry Judy, Christian Watson, Nico Collins, keep an eye on that one, Christian Kirk, Mike Williams, Darnell Mooney, Brandon Cooks, and Cortland Sutton. So the ones that stood out to me here, Alan Lazard, uh, Alan Lazard is probably one of those guys. I don't think he's a roster clogger, but I think a lot of people chalked Alan Lazard up as he's a product of Aaron Rodgers. He already made the statement that he's gone. He's not coming back to the Packers. He's going to hit free agency. He probably ends up getting a decent contract. And I think a lot of people are going to go, you know what? He's not that good. He's going to sign a big contract, sell, 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 sell. If he couldn't get it done with Aaron Rodgers, sell. I don't want him. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily want him, But I have to give him credit. You know, he posted a 21.2% market share season this year. Top 32 in every number. The only one that he was outside of the top 30 was market share, which he was 32nd. So he actually grades pretty well. He's probably a number two option. And if he lands on a good team, he's probably going to end up being a little bit undervalued on the market because people are going to immediately go, no pedigree, wasn't that great with Aaron Rodgers this year sell, 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 because he got a big contract. That's going to be my window to sell. And I would have been one of the people saying sell during the season, right? But looking at these numbers, I'm kind of a little interested uh, in some cheap Alan Lazard shares. So definitely a threshold receiver, definitely not one of those guys that you just mass sell. Would I sell him for a second? Yeah, but I don't think you're getting a second. So I'm not selling him for a third. I'm not looking at him and saying he's on his way down because his situation is about to get worse. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, The other one that jumps out to me in here is Jerry Judy. Uh, So Jerry Judy's yards per route run was actually the highest of his four categories. 
Didn't have a great season, but I think Jerry Judy clearly is the best receiver on the Broncos. Probably one of the bigger buys for me. Uh, All of his numbers kind of look like, all right, all he needs is the offense to get a little bit better, and he's probably got a really good shot to be a wide receiver too. He also has the extra boost of potentially being traded. I don't know if they trade him, but there was obviously rumors that they may be trading him during the season. Not sure if that's a contract thing or whatnot, uh, but we'll see if that pops back up. But really interested in Jerry Judy. Nico Collins. Nico Collins, clearly a threshold receiver. That's not really being valued as such. 19% market share this year uh, was 21st in targets per route run. Everything else was average, uh, but I think the takeaway with Nico Collins is probably not that different than Alan Lazard. Uh, Probably going to be getting a rookie quarterback, which could be good, could be bad, just depends on who it is. Uh, But Nico Collins, not a roster clogger, clearly a threshold receiver. So if you see him show up on a trade block and it's like Nico Collins for a third or something like that, that's the one that I'd be actually buying. And then the other one that's in here that's interesting is Mike Williams. Uh, Mike Williams is really one of the most, I would say, overrated receivers on this list. He's kind of being carried by the fact that he has high air yard share and a high yards per route run. And everything else is kind of subpar. You know, he's got one of the lowest market shares. In fact, he has the lowest market share of any player that's inside of the top 40. Uh, The only guys that are close to him are almost near the bottom of the top 50. And their names where you'd go, yeah, that guy's not any good. So I'm not saying Mike Williams is a roster clogger, but he's probably closer to that range than he is. Okay, I got to lock him in as a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three. He's probably a lot closer to some of these names where you go, that guy's not that good, right? Like Mike Williams, Nico Collins, not that big of a difference. One has Justin Herbert, one doesn't. That's really the only difference. So keep that in mind, not saying to trade him, but he's one of those guys where people are probably going to be sour on him a little bit because he got hurt, which means he's never going to be worth a first. But I do think there's going to be a window where if you can flip him for a different receiver, like I'm way overexposed on Mike Williams. I have eight Mike Williams shares in my profile. So that's probably more than I want my portfolio, excuse me. I don't want to have that many Mike Williams shares. Not when he's 28 years old, has the injury history that he does. He feels like one of those, I can pivot to somebody else and be fine with it. So that's probably what I'm doing with Mike Williams. Nobody else really sticks out in this range. They're all names that you would consider threshold receivers. So we're not quite to the range where it's like, okay, these guys are going to potentially fall out, uh, but they're none of these guys are really worth first round picks either. So it just comes down to, okay, what do I do with players in this tier? It's probably collect them, but it's also pivot up and down to the other guys that are in this range if they hold any market value. So the ones in here that stand out, you know, someone like Deontay Johnson, if someone values Deontay Johnson as, you know, a clear wide receiver two or even higher because of his market share, that's fine. Uh, Christian Watson, same thing. Christian Watson's good. I know he had the really, really late start or delayed start to the season, which probably is the reason why some of his numbers are down. Uh, His team air yard share was only 47th and his market share was 60th. Now he didn't do a lot the first like six weeks of the season. So that's partially the reason. If you probably isolated these numbers to just the second half of the year, he would look a lot better. But again, we're probably overvaluing a guy like Christian Watson simply because he was a rookie and he put up the numbers. And then the last one was Jalen Waddle. I didn't mention Jalen Waddle. He was the one that I mentioned that had come out of some games or was banged up. But really, you look at Jalen Waddle's second year, and you compare it to the fact that he had Tyreek Hill with him, 34th in team market share, 32nd in targets per route run, 39th in team air yard share. I don't know if that's a Tua thing, whatever, but you know, only a 20.8% market share. Like, that's not elite. And Jalen Waddle is probably the lowest on this list of the guys that we clearly value as like that tier two of receivers, right? You see where people put Jalen Waddle in Dynasty, top 10. 
And a lot of it's because he's young, and look what he did as a rookie. But the reality is he's probably not going to ever get back to the situation that he had as a rookie. He can be good. You know, but you look at Devontae Smith, you look at T. Higgins, you look at Jalen Waddle. There's not a difference between any of the three. They're all not the best receiver on their team, but they're all really good. They should all be top 15, top 18 dynasty receivers. But none of the three would I go, okay, I have to have that guy. So it's just interesting that his value has always maintained, but I really don't know what that's based on. And his year two production, you know, speaks to it. It really wasn't that impressive. So going down, we're going to go down to the tier four. So this is wide receiver 37 to 48. Uh, T. Higgins right there with Jalen Waddle. You know, T. Higgins, 18.5% market share. Again, he had two games where he technically played, so they count as games played. This has him as 16 game played. He really only played 14 games. But even if you take those out, it's still only around like 21.5%, 21% market share for Higgins. So it's not amazing. It's good, but it's not amazing. So again, you look at Higgins, Waddle, and Devontae Smith. What's the difference? You even look at a guy like Brandon Ayuk. You know, people don't really like his offense. He has Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey there, but Brandon Ayuk is just as good as those other three. But we don't see that in Dynasty. People don't really value him that way. You know, if you put those four players up, Waddle, Higgins, Devontae Smith, and Ayuk, Ayuk would finish fourth out of four. But then you look at these numbers and you go, well, he might have been the best one this year. So probably got to put some respect on him versus these other three and just think about where you value it. I know there's some potential that, you know, Higgins could go elsewhere. At the same time, he's probably a little bit overvalued. So just got to keep it real on that. Some other names that stick out to here. These are names that you're going to consider to be clear threshold receivers going into the offseason. Some surprising ones. Uh, Zay Jones was at wide receiver 40. Darius Slayton, wide receiver 41. Romeo Dobbs, wide receiver 42. Donovan Peoples-Jones, wide receiver 44. Richie James, wide receiver 45. So all those names are kind of ones where you go, I'm not sure what they are. I don't know if they're roster cloggers. Clearly, I think anybody in this range is subject to competition. So it's really subject to what does their receiver room look like. You know, I don't necessarily want to be on a guy like Darius Slayton or Richie James if they go somewhere and there's three or four other guys there with them. At the same time, though, you kind of have to look at these guys and say they are threshold receivers, even for lineup leagues. And I think we're now getting into that range where it's like, okay, for lineup leagues, if I have Darius Slayton, what am I doing with him? We got some Darius Slayton questions last week on the show. Is he an auto-accept trade candidate? He's probably not the kind of guy I'm selling just flat out for a third. Two-thirds? Yeah, but the price is probably the two-thirds. I don't think I can get a second. I don't know if I can get a second for even a guy like DPJ or Romeo Dobbs or Zay Jones, but I don't necessarily want to just take a third because I think they're good enough in lineup leagues to be threshold receivers. And part of what I haven't talked about yet is what's the threshold in best ball? I get that question a lot. It's a little deeper, so we'll talk about that here in a second. But those names stuck out to me as guys that are clear threshold receivers in lineup leagues, like I talked about in that first show. If you can sell them for a second, fine but I'm not selling them for a third. And then it continues as we go down the list. Uh, if you just look at like the top 60-ish, there's going to be some others. We're going to start to get to the fringe here. Uh, wide receiver 49, Josh Palmer. That's an interesting one. 50, Isaiah Hodgins. 51, Robert Woods. That's one probably doesn't really matter because of his age. 52, Olamide Zacchaeus. 53, Terrace Marshall. 54, Khalif Raymond. 56, Demarcus Robinson. 58, Van Jefferson, 60, Marvin Jones. A lot of gross names in there. 
a lot of names where you're like, yeah, these guys really don't have much dynasty value. I get some questions all the time about Josh Palmer. What are the Chargers going to do in their receiver room? Do they cut Keenan Allen? Do they draft a receiver? Isaiah Hodgins, that was a popular one. Probably have to look at Isaiah Hodgins and say, you know what? I'm guessing these numbers, if you just isolate like the last eight games or the last six games, are probably a lot better. You know, given that he literally came from another team off their practice squad in the middle of the season. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. In a lineup league, Isaiah Hodgins is a threshold receiver. Again, am I just going to take a third? You can argue that I don't want to just take a third. For the sake of liquidation, if he's your wide receiver 9 or 10, sure. Uh, But I just want to throw those two names out there. Josh Palmer, Isaiah Hodgins. uh, They're guys I actually don't mind pivoting from a higher-valued receiver to those guys. You know, just above them, I didn't mention a couple of these names, DJ Chark, Rondale Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster. I already mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones. I already mentioned Romeo Dobbs. I already mentioned Zay Jones. Gabriel Davis, he's right in this range. Gabriel Davis was wide receiver 43. So again, like all those guys are kind of the same, right? Like truthfully, what is the difference between Josh Palmer and Gabriel Davis? Other than Gabriel Davis was the supposed number two on the Bills, and we saw how that worked out. He's probably not a good number two. So you think about that, okay, what's the difference between Josh Palmer and Donovan Peoples-Jones, right? Donovan Peoples-Jones was the number two, but he's probably not that great of a number two. So it really just comes down to what pecking order do these guys play on their own team, and then the ones that even have a slightly lower pecking order, so maybe they're the number three versus the number two, what's their quarterback efficiency look like? So obviously we're going to overvalue a guy like Josh Palmer if he's the number two on the Chargers, but really he's no different than the number three on some teams that don't have offenses that are as efficient. So something to keep in mind for lineup leagues, these guys are all in the range of, okay, any second automatically can have them. Any third, I'm probably asking for two thirds, but again, you have to reassess. I'll say this, these are the most likely players to just get pushed out if there's a rookie that comes in, a rookie with second round draft capital, a rookie with even third round draft capital that comes in and looks good. Any team that drafts a rookie in the first round, if they have one of these guys, you have to kind of just downgrade them and say, okay, they've moved from threshold receiver probably into roster clogger range. So these are the ones that list really starting at Zay Jones. So Zay Jones, Darius Slayton, Romeo Dobbs, Gabe Davis, DPJ, Richie James, Juju Smith-Schuster, Rondale Moore are both on that list. Guys that hold a little bit of dynasty value. DJ Chark, Josh Palmer, Isaiah Hodgins. Like these guys are right on the fringe. They're right at the inflection point and any of them could be impacted with any small change to their depth chart or bringing in another player. So think about that. Use those names. Use those market values to your advantage. Once we get below that, now we're going to start getting into the concerning territory. Now, this is the territory where I would say is past the point of concern for lineup leagues. These are the ones where, okay, if they have market value, sell because they have market value. If they don't, you have to wonder, why do I have them on my roster? So there's going to be a mismatch of names. So I'm going to start wide receiver 57, Jahan Dotson, outside of the top 50 in every category except for team air yard share he was 49th okay but really Jahan Dotson is a guy that some people value as like a late first round pick I've said it for months Jahan Dotson is a re-roll candidate doesn't mean he's not good doesn't mean he can't get better but he is a re-roll candidate if I can have any shot at drafting another receiver in this year's class that could be a first round pick or better give me the 110 111 112 for Jahan Dotson all day because I know I'm going to get a receiver with pedigree. I know I'm going to get a receiver with the same pedigree as Jahan Dotson. They might not be as highly drafted as him, 
but I'm going to get a first round receiver. I'm going to get Josh Downs. I'm going to get Zay Flowers. I'm going to get Jalen Hyatt. Hell, I might even luck into getting Quentin Johnston, or I might get Jordan Addison. It just depends on how the board goes. But if I can re-roll Jahan Dotson, done. If I can re-roll Jahan Dotson for a 24 first, done. He's one of these guys in this range where it's like, yeah, he didn't grade out very well, but he has market value. So I got to take advantage of that. Chase Claypool, same thing. I think his market value is down. Uh, but the fact that he's below a lot of those other names that I talked about, if there's any sort of offseason buzz for Chase Claypool, like, oh, he's finally picked up the playbook. He's a guy you definitely take a second for. Alec Pierce, same exact thing. Again, people are going to cite, well, the Colts passing game stunk. Alec Pierce's peripherals really aren't that good. Outside of the top 60 in every category, except for Air Yard Share, he was 45th. So again, nothing really promising about Alec Pierce. Probably not a good threshold receiver bet in a lineup league. Best ball, we haven't hit the non-threshold mark quite yet in best ball, but Alec Pierce is one that really doesn't check any of the boxes. So that'd be one definitely would sell Alec Pierce for a second. Here's another one, just like Jahan Dotson, George Pickens. Again, a lot of hype for George Pickens. Outside of the top 50 in every category, except for air yard share, where he was 41st. 81st in targets per route run. Woof. One of the worst. Now, again, part of this is George Pickens was forced into the lineup as a starter right away. So you expect a little bit of a learning curve. 15.4% market share, respectable for a rookie. But nothing about George Pickens says he even gets into that, like, tier two wide receiver range. But you have people valuing him as a top 20 wide receiver in Dynasty. It just isn't warranted. So that's really all it is. I'm not saying sell George Pickens, but he's absolutely a re-roll guy. If you can get one of the top three receivers in this class for George Pickens, done, done, and done. And then after George Pickens, I'll just continue to go down the list. Anybody you hear going forward on this list for lineup leagues are the uh-oh, get out, definite potential roster cloggers. So if you hear a guy with value, get out. If you hear a guy that has no value, you're going to go, okay, there's a reason he probably has no value. I'm just stuck with him. Probably a cut candidate if you can't get a third or can't get a fourth. Uh, But the names, I'll pick out the ones that have maybe a little value. Adam Thielen probably doesn't have a ton of value simply because he's 33 years old. I don't think people really value him much, uh, but I bet you can get a third for Adam Thielen. Fine with that. Michael Gallup, talked about Michael Gallup on the episode like six weeks ago, uh, concerning. You know, Dallas probably brings in another receiver. Michael Gallup is really teetering on that lineup league roster clogger range, but you know he has some market value. So that's a guy I'm willing to get out on. If I can't get a second, I'd be willing to add a third to Michael Gallup to get a second. I'd be willing to sell for two thirds. And that's more of a roster construction thing, right? Like you might look at your threshold receivers and you say, I only have six. One of them is Michael Gallup. He technically could qualify as one on the very, very low end. At the same time, if I can get two shots, if I can get two running back shots with thirds, I'd rather buy a better threshold receiver, right? Can I go send a second for Jacoby Myers, get two thirds for Michael Gallup, and I pick up two running back slots with those thirds that I can draft rookie running backs or I can trade for a set of running backs like I've talked about with Eric on America's game but I upgraded the threshold receiver. I don't really care about the second or third swap there. The idea is to not just stay stuck with these receivers in this range. And he's one of the prime ones where you can't get a second most likely. But I think you get two thirds, especially if you could do a third this year and a third next year, gives you a lot of flexibility. That's an extra shot you can use during the season. So for lineup leagues, yes, best ball. We're in the territory here where these guys are still good for best ball, especially in your leagues where you have to start three receivers and you can start multiple flexes. 
honestly, I'll just say this, and I'll talk about more when I talk with Adam and Mike about this, but really, looking at this list, other than guys that I'm not really sure are going to have roles at all, pretty much everybody is still somebody on this list I would hang on to for best ball, just given how many relevant receivers there were this year. Mike talked about it in the Discord earlier this week. There, there were more receivers that were relevant this year, and I think we're getting into the range now where it's like, okay, I'm going to count one of these guys as a threshold receiver for best ball, uh, but obviously for lineup, no. So going down, a couple more, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, I talked about him as a guy I would buy. He really, really tapered off the last month of the season to the point where he's really just a best ball threshold guy. Absolutely a lineup roster clogger. He's probably far enough down where I go, you know what? I'd probably buy him for a third. Allen Robinson, same thing. I mean, Allen Robinson's season was woof. The worst category he had was yards per route run. You can attribute some of that to the quarterback. But the things he had more control over still outside the top 50 and everything. So he's definitely one of those guys where if there's any sort of steam upwards uh, for Allen Robinson, like the Rams are going to kind of turn it around next year. It'll be a bounce back positive regression candidate. Allen Robinson's still going to be, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four. Uh, definitely another one like Michael Gallup, where I'm not hanging my hat on in anything other than best ball. Tyler Boyd, same thing. I hate to say it, uh, but Tyler Boyd, only a 13.7% market share. You know, frankly, we saw the running backs. We saw Hayden Hurst come in and kind of bully Tyler Boyd out. You know, Tyler Boyd's good, but he isn't one of these guys where I go, okay, I need to hang on to him. And he has some market value. Probably can't get a second, but very similar to Michael Gallup. He's tied to a good offense. People still see some value. So I'd take two-thirds for Tyler Boyd if you could get that. Uh, a few others. Paris Campbell wanted to mention. Roster clogger. Best ball, good. Lineup, bad. KJ Osborne, same thing. Best ball, good. Lineup, bad. Tyquan Thornton. Also hate to say on Tyquan Thornton, but really exactly what people pegged him to be, right? He'll be good for best ball. Uh, yeah, don't want Tyquan Thornton at all in a lineup league. And then really the only one on here that stands out after those names is one of the ones that is the most disappointing. Elijah Moore comes in at wide receiver 85. That's 85 out of 91, just for reference. 11.46% market share outside of the top 80 in every category except for team air yard share where he was 74th. So again, Elijah Moore... You might look at his rookie year and say, well, you know, everything just went wrong for him this year. Didn't like the offensive coordinator. The quarterback sucked. I put Elijah Moore's numbers from last year into this list. And while he was good, he wouldn't have finished in the top 30. So it's not like you can hang your hat on this rookie year and say, well, he's just going to bounce back. You know, he's solid. Would I say he's a threshold receiver in a lineup league? Yes. But that's probably where I would stop. You know, he's probably in that Romeo Dobbs, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Darius Slayton, Zay Jones, that type of range, but that's it. No higher. You can't really look at him and say, you know what, he's going to be one of these guys that's elite. You know, there's nothing about his season this year that was good, but there's also nothing about his rookie year that says he really should be anything other than a threshold receiver. So the way you take advantage of it is there are still people that value Elijah Moore as a round two pick, second rounder. And if they get a new quarterback, a quarterback that has a history of being able to get the ball to receivers, he's exactly what he is. He's a guy that's probably a threshold receiver, a top 50 guy in a lineup league, but take advantage of it because a lot of the guys in that range don't really have any value. You know, some of the names that I talked about in there, you know, someone like Brandon Cooks, someone like Zay Jones, you know, those guys don't have a ton of value, but what's the difference? You know, why is Elijah Moore better? Because he's five years younger? 
Like, this isn't the range, and I think that's the lesson of this whole thing, is when you're talking about, like, receivers in lineup leagues that are outside the top 40, outside the top 50 especially, age doesn't matter. You know, this is the range. Wide receiver 40 to 60, that's probably, like, the low-end range of most leagues where the threshold is wide receiver 50. Maybe you have an extra flex, and it's wide receiver 60-ish. But that's the range where you go... Anybody that has something negative for their value, a rookie, a free agent signing, these are the guys that are going to get pushed out. The guys in this range are the ones that are potential victims of getting pushed aside. So that's where Elijah Moore is. So I'm not saying he's going to come in and somebody's going to push him aside, but we don't want to overvalue these guys. We don't want to look at these guys and go, wow, man, he's only 23. No, yeah, if he's only 23 years old, but he's wide receiver 46 on this list, who cares? Because the odds are someone better is going to come along and push him down. Very unlikely that a guy goes from wide receiver 55, cracks the top 24, or even cracks the top 30. So just keep that in mind. That's why you move a guy like Elijah Moore, regardless of his profile, regardless of his age, it's just unlikely that you're going to see any sort of appreciative gain from him. But you can move him because most of the other guys in this range have no value. Most of the guys outside the top 50 or so are just cloggers to other people, meaning once the other person has them, they want a second. You know, if someone has Tyler Boyd or Michael Gallup or DJ Chark or Josh Palmer, they want a second. Chase Claypool, they want a second. Alec Pierce, they want at least a second. George Pickens, they definitely want more than a second. And I'm sitting here going like, okay... Whether I like the market price or not, I just don't want to buy guys in that range. I'd rather try to buy the guys that are undervalued in the higher range. Or I'd try to pivot down from a guy that's in the you know really high range, let's say top 24 or so, but has a higher market value than that, to another guy in the same range. That's the whole you know pivot down off of somebody like Chris Olave and you get Marquise Brown in a 24 first. Like that's how you take advantage of this. Now you can get burned on those every once in a while, but largely there's really really good wide receiver pivots that can be made when you just study the market value of these guys. So hopefully this helps. I know I didn't talk about every single name. Uh, I didn't really go into detail on the best ball part. I, I think the idea is you can take the bottom 20 or so on this list. A lot of them are names Greg Dortch, Russell Gage, Isaiah McKenzie, Ben Squaronic, Marquise Goodwin, Devin Duvernay, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, DeAndre Carter, Philip Dorsett, Trent Sherfield, Quez Watkins, Kendall Hinton. All those guys are probably guys where you know they don't have any value. Best ball, you may hold on to them. I typically, in best ball, what I'll do is I will still establish my threshold kind of like it's a lineup league. So say I'm in a best ball league. And I'll just spend the last 5-10 minutes talking about this. And I do want to mention one other player as well. Uh, but say I'm in a best ball league. Say it's a start 11. So not a start 10, a start 11. That's probably going to push the threshold out to like wide receiver 60 for a lineup, right? But let's say it's best ball. So now I sit in here and go, well, okay, I can justify carrying some roster clogger receivers. Guys, I would consider roster cloggers in lineup. Best ball, yeah, why not? That guy put up a big game last year. He's worth a roster spot. Ideally, you could say, looking back at his numbers for last year, yes, he was. But I still want to kind of establish my threshold like it's a lineup league and worry about it later. Because what can I probably do in a best ball league, especially ones that are shallower rosters? So they're not like, you know, 35-man rosters, 40-man rosters. That's tougher because every player is going to be rostered. 
and there's going to be less on waivers. But if you're in some of these shallow leagues, I'm still going to cut my threshold probably 20% higher than it should be, according to the scoring matrix in a best ball league, simply because I think I can still find that best ball dart on waivers at all times. I can always find the DeAndre Carter on waivers. I can always find the Ben Skoranek on waivers. In fact, they're going to get dropped in a lot of leagues simply because people go, yeah, you know, this guy easily could be replaced by another guy just like him next year. So I still want to keep my threshold higher, especially in the offseason when roster spots are so valuable. I want to keep my threshold higher. It also gives me some room to kind of turn those roster spots between now and the start of the season because I know I'm going to be able to find next year's DeAndre Carter, next year's Marquise Goodwin. Those guys are always going to be out there on waivers. So I almost want to treat my best ball lineups, and this is something I'll talk more with Adam and Mike uh, when we over crossover on some of these shows. I'll talk more about kind of roster construction in best ball and how much further down you go at wide receiver. Because one of the fallacies is in best ball, you have to figure out players to roster. And they've talked about it a ton on their shows. You don't want to roster any running back on a 53 in a best ball league. I mean, I'll be honest, there's a lot of running backs I'm rostering on teams that I'm carrying in lineup leagues because, you know, in a start 10 lineup league with 28 roster spots or 30 roster spots, truthfully, the only guys I'm really ever pulling for my starting lineups from is probably those like top 20 or so roster spots. So I have a lot of just dead weight roster spots to where, okay, I'm carrying eight extra running backs in those spots simply for the needle in a haystack opportunity that they may get once or twice during the season. And when they do, when Malik Davis goes from the number three back on Dallas to all of a sudden going to get 12 touches in this next game, he goes from the 27th guy on my roster to probably the 15th overnight. And that's how fast running backs can move. In best ball, that's going to punish you. If you're carrying too many of those guys, you're just going to take a bunch of zeros. You're not going to have the extra players to fire week to week because maybe only one of those 10 running backs even gets on the field simply because they're the number three back and the top two guys in a game don't get hurt and they never have a reason to play the number three running back. So it's almost flipped. You know, best ball, you're going, okay, my threshold receivers, the math says it should go out to wide receiver 90 or so and running backs, it should probably stop around like running back 50 because everyone below that needs something to happen for them to potentially crack the lineup and you don't want to take all those zeros. Lineup, you're going to flip it. Lineup, you're going to go any running back on a 53, and I don't want the roster clogger receivers because I'm never going to know when to play them. So I think that's the biggest difference in roster spot allocation. You can almost take the recommendations from the roster construction series at running back and receiver and kind of flip it. You don't flip it entirely, but you can almost flip it for at least like four, five, six roster spots and go, okay, I'm allocating six extra roster spots to running backs. Let me flip those six to some of these really, really low-end dart throw receivers. And usually you can add those guys for dirt cheap. So that's the reason why in the offseason, I'm probably going to go, okay, I don't want to carry them necessarily, but I want to eventually get there or at least have those roster spots open for when we get closer to the season. Because I know those types are going to emerge. I know those types are going to be available cheap in deals, uh, but I don't really want to pay for them. And I want to pay a fourth for Ben Skoranek because I can find literally a Ben Skoranek on waivers. So you have to kind of think about that. It makes it a little tougher in best ball leagues to manage your offseason teams because you know, you don't want to drop the Trenton Irwins of the world. You know, you don't want to drop those roster clogger receivers that you'd go in lineup. I have no problem dropping those guys. But here, I don't really want to cut them because technically they had that one game last year. 
but it's such a replaceable spot. You know, like the third, usually it's like the fourth or fifth receiver on a roster for an NFL team. Such a replaceable spot that they really aren't worthy of a roster spot in the offseason, even in best ball. Then the last guy I wanted to mention, not a parting shot, but I've referenced this a couple times on Twitter and on a couple podcasts. The lowest player in this whole sample size, and not even just the lowest, but literally like 2% lower than everybody else, right? Literally out of 91, he ranked 91st in market share. He ranked 91st in yards per route run. And he ranked 91st in team air yards. The only category that he finished, not at the very, very, very bottom of the sample size. He finished 90th in targets per route run. None other than David Bell. I see people talking about David Bell. Well, you know, played a lot as a rookie. Yeah, played 525 plays. Ran 292 routes. Played in 16 of 17 games. But unequivocally, David Bell was probably the worst receiver in the league. Now, when I say worst receiver in the league, worst receiver in the league that played. There's a lot of bad receivers, worse than David Bell. But the idea that he is a guy I still want, no way. No way. He is an obvious throw into anything I can do to get rid of that roster spot. Any third gone. Honestly, I'd take a fourth for David Bell because the idea of being able to flip him for a running back, if I can sell David Bell for a fourth and a fill-in running back, literally a placeholder running back that I think could be on a roster next year, done. Best ball, same thing. Like He's one of those guys that in best ball, if I can move up in the draft to potentially get a better player, gone. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm not shitting on David Bell, but there were a lot of people that liked him. There were a lot of people that are still on him. I see some people talking about, yeah, you know, he just needs another year. He'll be good with Watson. No, those numbers say he's literally the worst receiver in the league this year that had any significant playing time. So do what you can to get rid of him really in any format. So with that said, this one is in the books. Hopefully this was helpful. Uh, I'm looking forward to some collaboration uh, with Mike and Adam, especially talking about best ball versus lineup. Uh, They have a lot of data. They are one of the few podcasts out there that actually talk a lot of best ball dynasty and dive into the theory. I think a lot of people, and I'm included because I'm just starting. This is only my third year ever of playing best ball dynasty. Well, technically fourth as we get into this off season, but I played for two years Then I stopped because I'm like, you know what? I'm not really a fan of playing Best Ball Dynasty. But then as I've gone forward, I've started to appreciate the theory behind it. So I dove back into it last year, only in four Best Ball Leagues, but I'm starting to add more. We're doing more USFFL Leagues. Uh, I jumped into the Royal Rumble dispersal. So my plan is to probably be somewhere like in the 10 to 15 Best Ball Leagues. Uh, And obviously, I've had to cut out some lineup teams, too. I've sold some lineup teams, uh, given away quite a few teams that won last year, some teams that I've been in for four, five, six years, won the championship or made the playoffs. I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to give this team away, let somebody else build it back up, trying to find some more best ball leagues with higher, higher stakes uh, and trying to build a best ball portfolio, too. So it is different. I'm looking forward to having those guys on uh, because I appreciate the strategy of team building. You know, I understand there's a little bit of an edge that's lost. You don't have to set a lineup as somebody that's just absolutely on top of setting my lineups all the time. You know, in a lineup league, there's like a 5% advantage, especially with how crazy the inactives and the news is right now. You can get an advantage in a lineup league. Across your league, you're going to have like 5% attrition where people just miss lineups. People play guys that are out. Like that's an advantage to you if you're really active. You don't get that in best ball necessarily, but I like the aspect of team building. So looking forward to chopping it up with those guys, doing a lot more content. Uh, might even do like a full 
rerun of the roster construction series, but from a best ball standpoint, and just see how the numbers shake out. And I'd like to get some guests on uh, to talk about that stuff as well. So hopefully everybody enjoyed that. More to come, more roster construction stuff to come, uh, more talk about rookies. I'm sure Ray's doing awesome film breakdowns every week on rookie running backs. Uh, and I got to give credit to Ray. He is a marketing genius and he has really honed in on trying to figure out, you know, what are the nuanced differences between a lot of these running backs? You know, we even had some talks in the Discord and it's like, there's no point in him doing a film session on Bijan Robinson. There's no point in him doing a film session on Jameer Gibbs. There's really no point on him doing film sessions on quarterbacks or tight ends because there's a lot that he can give opinions on, but it's like, we need other information to come before those really matter. For quarterbacks, we have to see draft capital. For tight ends, we have to see their athletic testing. Like we want to see those RAS scores. So for those two positions, not that I don't value people's film notes or, you know, their pre-combine or pre-draft rankings, but really like those two things are really, really correlative. And once I see those, that's kind of going to dictate which guys I want at those positions. So he's really honed in on the running backs going like, you know what? I know there's going to be a bunch of good running backs. There are a bunch of good running backs in this class. They're going to get draft capital that's sprayed all over from round two to round five. And there's a ton of them. There's probably 15 to 20 of them in that range that are going to get drafted in that range. And he's trying to figure out using the film, using some other stuff that we'll get information on later, but who's good and who's not, who might fit where, who might not fit where. But really, I think that's going to be huge for a lot of the roster construction grinders and a lot of the zero RB, hero RB folks that are going to be using every draft pick they can on running backs. So for people like myself and Eric, like those are huge for me to have just in the back of my mind. Hey, I remember that guy's pretty good. Remember, that guy might not be that good, but it's like an extra tiebreaker so that we can kind of know how we want to manage our portfolio at running back. So shout out. Ray does those every Wednesday night on the Discord. Um, I've had to watch a couple of the replays because I haven't been able to make it live, but they're there. You know, you can still watch it. You're just not going to be able to participate in, like in the live Q&A and the feedback sessions that he has. Uh, but they're still good to digest and just kind of get a little bit of an idea of which running backs that are all going to be in like this gross range, which ones are good and which ones might not be that good. As always, you can join us in the Discord over at patreon.com slash allgas. You can join my Patreon at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. You can subscribe to the Destination Devi newsletter at allgas.beehive.com. Check that out. You get the newsletter delivered every Friday morning, Friday night, just depends on when your email provider gets it to you. Uh, but you'll get that info every single week, even in the offseason. Dynasty stuff, waiver wire stuff, DFS stuff gambling stuff. Really, really good. Everyone works really hard on that. It's a good read every single week, so check it out. All you have to do is enter your email. And with that, I'll announce when our next live stream is going to be, either next week or the week after. Since the Bengals are still in the playoffs, I'm guessing it'll probably be the week after because we'll have a break with the week in between the Super Bowl. So most likely it'll be two weeks from now. We'll be the next live stream on YouTube, and next week will just be a regular podcast. So I appreciate everybody getting to this point, everyone for supporting me thus far. It's going to be an awesome offseason with everybody over at Destination Debbie. Can't wait to continue to dive into a lot of the data, talk roster construction, talk strategy. That's really what I love. So appreciate everybody interacting. Really, really gracious for the opportunity, and I will be back next week. Be chill.